Fairburn, you and I have both successfully, finally, gotten a, uh, not only a prediction, but a prediction against the spread correct, as the, uh, the Bills seemed like they were in line to maybe, uh, one-up us once more. They, uh, they ended up losing by a score of 25-6. to six. This is now the fourth time in eight weeks that the Bills have scored less than seven points. Um, and quite frankly, there's not a lot of optimism going on around what is happening on the offensive side of the ball. The defensive side of the ball, well, that's a bit of a different story. We'll get into both as we... Get into this uh, Bills 25-6 to loss to the Patriots uh, episode of the podcast. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me, as always, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. Cool environment tonight, Matthew. Really cool way that the Thurman Thomas thing looked tonight. Not so much what the offense did. And I think that's probably where we should start this because, I don't know, it just... It just feels like there's an air of hopelessness to what they do on the offensive side of the ball. Like, like what is there to really hang your hat on? What is there that you can sit there and say, well, this could rescue rescue the day? L- going into the week, it was, hey, LaShawn McCoy has a, has a concussion. If he's ready, maybe that's something. Well, what, what did he end up with, like 13 yards? Yeah, but he had six catches for 82 yards. Well, that's good. So That's good, at least. He was basically their only offensive threat. I mean, if you're looking for things to like hang your hat on, it's precious little on this offense yeah. because I see people getting excited about Zay Jones, and I don't mean this to disparage Zay Jones in any way. I think he's making some steps forward, and he's improving, and um, good kid, good guy, like, nothing but good things to say about him but when you're getting excited about your second year receiver second round pick getting six catches for 55 yards i think that's a bit of an issue i mean i more more or less a an overall problem with the offense right not an issue with yeah. you personally if yeah. you got excited about that more just an issue of there is nothing else to be excited about i mean Deion Dawkins even made some mistakes tonight. We've talked about him as one of the foundational players, one of the guys that'll be here beyond next year. It was it's pretty crazy. I mean, yesterday I was watching football. You know, we don't usually get to watch games on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it's somewhat jarring watching actual offense because we really haven't seen it here in a long time. My whole time on the beat, you could argue. I mean, they've had they had their moments in the Tyrod Taylor, Percy Harvin, Sammy Watkins, LaShawn McCoy offense, but I forgot Percy Harvin happened. He was good for a second. <laughs> yeah. But the injuries and such. Yeah. But it's just like wild watching teams with not even like not even great teams, like putting stringing together drives and just playing offense. I mean, this team is so bad on that side of the football and it will not get better like there is no answer and it's weird even going into the locker room and asking these guys about it because what do you even ask at this point like hey you guys sucked again like what's up with that (laughs) i mean like (laughs) if you i want you to go in there and say hey what's up with that like you guys still kind of suck i mean when you have a 35-year-old quarterback who was on his couch a few weeks ago and the only alternative is Nathan Peterman, you've got an offensive line full of guys that should be backups, maybe outside of Dawkins, and you've got you know, no talent at wide receiver. Kelvin Benjamin, again, just turning in a somewhat half-assed game you did know. you see the the clip of Derek anderson talking to him right I, we don't know exactly what anderson was saying to him but you can kind of tell by the way he was motioning his hand that he wanted him to run a different route i think maybe he was saying what i just said hey you kind of suck what's up with that <laughs> can't confirm but something tells me it was something along those lines but in general they they're just lost and i know people want to point the finger at brian dable but 
you almost after that first drive, I was almost like, wow, it must really suck to be Brian Dable. Yeah. Where you're like, I need to run Wildcat and double flea flickers to maybe spark something. That was a saucy little number, and that one that they ran. It was not, I mean, it doesn't make him a bad coordinator or anything. I actually kind of enjoyed it. And that was the only time in the last what month that this offense was watchable <laughs> was when they were running flea flickers and wildcat yeah it was a 12 run 12 yard run for mccoy out of the wildcat on the first play he finished with 13 yards on 12 carries like it's just there's a reason why it's on pace to be one of the worst offenses in the modern era and it's especially damning when Points are being scored in this league at a crazy rate, and other teams are playing offense at such a high level, and the rules favor the offense, and yet you're sitting there, you hold Brady to no touchdowns and keep this offense in check all night, and never before has a 12-6 to score felt so insurmountable. Oh, I know. Like they got that field goal to make it twelve to six, and I thought, yeah, that that'll do it. You know, Derek Anderson's not scoring a touchdown. He finally gets you know the one to Jason Kroom that gets called back. But yeah, I, I don't know what you get excited about. I mean, unless Josh Allen returns sometime soon, there's not much to watch. And then Tremaine Edmonds got hurt tonight, so right. it's like some of your best players. Lorenzo Alexander was one of the best players on the field tonight. As he has been each... He's 35 years old. I mean, what is there that you're night. watching that you're saying you're getting excited about, you know, for the future? Tredavious White had another good game, mm-hmm. and, and there are little things and flashes within each game. The defense played really well, but, I mean, you're not going to win playing just playing defense. It's not 2000 anymore. And so there has to be just... I can't even imagine the level of frustration on both sides of the ball on offense when you're sitting there saying, Jesus, these guys keep, you know, begging us to win a game, holding us in these games so long. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, on the defensive side, what do you even do? How do you continue to to bring that every week? It's why you see games like the Colts game, because you can't bring it every week. I mean, how many times did we see the offense have an opportunity, even though it never really felt like it? where they had an opportunity where they had the ball and had they scored a touchdown, they would have taken the lead. I mean, that that was all across the board in this game, but they just, quite frankly, could not do anything with it. And that is inherently frustrating for Sean McDermott, his his defensive players, and because now you are essentially, and we've made this point before, you are essentially wasting a year of those guys with with the defense that you have and, and there's going to be holes to fill on that side of the ball yes kyle williams and absolutely Alexander. those are got two guys who are playing held defensive really end well, as well really well and jerry hughes one of your best players who is not nearing the end of his career but nearing the end of his contract and so you're talking about three key pieces on your defense who are all getting up there trent murphy has been hurt and you're leaning on him to be a, a kind of a pillar. But the defensive line will need to be rebuilt in some fashion. You're going to need to replace Lorenzo Alexander. You still need a second corner. So the defense isn't fixed. It's playing really well, and they're playing their ass off. But they've got some older guys on that side of the ball, and they've got some older guys on offense. It's why when they... You know, Sean McDermott brings up how young the team is a lot. And they do have rookies playing like Harrison Phillips, Tremaine Edmonds, Taron Johnson, and second-year guys like Trey White and Matt Milano. Those are your building blocks. Mm-hmm. But you Which, still, by the way, Milano had a ripper of a game. Yeah, he played well. And Tremaine Edmonds was hanging in there as well before he got hurt. They were going after him a lot early in the game. But it, you also have old players on that side of the ball and you have a lot of old players on offense and guys who aren't going to be here 
and may not be here this time tomorrow, mm-hmm. a couple of them. So you almost I almost like for LaShawn McCoy's sake want them to, to trade him because I've never seen him as pissed off as he was well maybe not as pissed off as downtrodden. He's pissed off. But yeah. I've seen him more pissed off. Yeah, it uh, almost looked like he had some sort of like a tear in his eye. Yeah, he, when he was talking. He was, he was really, really frustrated. And it's hard to blame him. I mean, yeah. he said he's never had a season like this one. He's never experienced anything like this. And it's not a it's not that he wants out of Buffalo. He's not unhappy as a Buffalo Bill. He's unhappy with what they're doing each week. What what he's doing as well Mm -hmm. and that may be a a come to jesus moment for the front office at some point unless like we said maybe they want him here in 2019 but well i mean hell they have they have 15 hours as of right now to to figure that out with with lashawn mccoy and we we spoke a lot about that on the last podcast and is that enough time and is the fact that they're playing that they played a monday night game that's almost as though it's like working against them because now they have all of these uh questions and they probably had a pretty good idea they were going to be two and six but they also wanted to see if well you would think they would want to see if these two guys benjamin and and lachelle mccoy could up their value at all but (laughs) neither one did i mean mccoy had a solid game in the passing attack but it's about it Calvin Benjamin was a complete wreck outside of a 40-yard catch in which he actually looked usable. It's just, what do you what do? you do? I mean, if I'm the Bills, I'm trying to deal both of them actively because if you have a downtrodden LaShawn McCoy now at 2-6, and six, you think this is going to get better this year? You think he, his attitude is going to improve? This year, if they continue to lose in the manner that they are, and it's not to say that he would have a cancerous effect on the locker room. I don't think that's the case. But you also want to do right by your players, too. And if you have a guy who is at quite clearly the end of his career, which is what LaShawn McCoy is nearing on, and, you know, I I think... There's going to be some arguments out there that uh, has LaShawn McCoy lost lost his step or or whatnot. It's also really tough to do much of anything behind this offensive line the way that they've played over the last three, four weeks now. And probably more so, it's tough to get much of anything going when the defense is just zeroed in on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody is going to respect the passing game when Derek Anderson is back there. That's just... That's just a fact. I mean, teams are probably watching tape on Anderson and this offense and saying, yeah, we'll load the box up. They were doing the same thing when Josh Allen was in Yeah, I was just going to say, what? uh, that's the question. Which one of these quarterbacks does the the defense respect? I mean, they're just going to play all of them the same kind of way. And quite frankly, Derek Anderson, he, he turned the ball over again a couple of times. But if we're talking about operating within the offense, might he be the most productive <laughs> that we've seen this year? I mean, it's not really saying much, but when you got used to a certain standard with Josh Allen and Nathan Peterman, you see Derek Anderson actually throwing the ball down the field into some tight windows and and trying those things out and... I mean, he, he, he was actually kind of moving the ball. But then again, it's like... He's also okay. produced nine points and six turnovers. Yeah. And no arguments there. In two games. I mean, it's a low bar the way this team is playing quarterback, but... Well, how about Josh Allen? I mean, he produced, what, 19 points in three games? Because for that a, touchdown wasn't his in, in the Texans game. For a fleeting moment... Jason Kroom was the leader on this team in receiving touchdowns with two mm. before that call was overturned. Yes. They've passed for three touchdowns all season. The call that should have been incomplete right from the get-go. Yeah, but it was nice to have that moment <laughs> yeah. where Jason Kroom was leading the team in touchdowns with two. I mean, receiving touchdowns, that is. Yeah. It's, it, 
it goes back to the the Zay Jones point where there you know it was almost a an, an angle in the locker room. Some people you know asking Zay Jones seems like he's gaining some confidence. It's like not the Zay Jones I talked to. He was just as bummed out as everybody else. Like I mean, not to say he's not confident, but it's like he caught six balls for fifty five yards. Like look around the league at what some second year receivers are doing. I mean. Or, you know, Mar- like a game Marquise Goodwin will have out of nowhere. I mean, r- six catches for 55 yards is a ho-hum day in almost every other stadium. But here, with this offense, it, it look and I, I again, I, I understand if you, you're like, you watch the game and you come away thinking, Zay Jones was doing things. Yeah, he was. But, man, that's a, an indictment of this offense when a guy who has six catches for 55 yards stands out yeah. because he's making plays that a lot of other players in the league make that guys who get picked in the second round should make and i just don't know what the the future holds for this offense it's it's a weird conversation to have because in many ways we knew this was coming yeah i mean the offense looked terrible in training camp it's terrible on paper and it's terrible in practice in you know actuality but going forward you know what are the answers you're not going to pick a receiver that's going to you know change this offense immediately you're not going to you better you're going to have to throw a lot of money around and try to fix these problems and i don't know is it the right plan or are they going to be able to identify the right guys you know these are you know we're talking about Josh Allen not looking great early on they didn't have a plan at quarterback. They didn't have a plan to surround him with any talent. So, I don't know. On the one hand, you give you say, hey, we'll see what they can do. On the other, I don't blame anyone who's nervous, wondering if they're the right ones to throw the darts and free agency in the draft. Yeah, I don't disagree there. And all that talk about Zay Jones and what he did today, six catches for 55 yards and how people are... Uh, fans are at least somewhat excited about what Zay Jones is doing. And this is not to take anything away from him because I do think he is progressing. I really do. And that's a semi-important thing for them because now he can actually be a usable player in 2019 with the way that he's gone through the first half of the season. But did you ever watch Mad TV growing up? Ever touch it at all? Once in a while. Okay. Well, Mad TV always used to do like this in-between skit sort of thing where they had these, you know, just these grotesque kind of people that you wouldn't normally date. And they do these, like, dating things. And they called them lowered expectations. They called the dating service lowered expectations. That is essentially the Bills offense. Because when you are getting excited about Zay Jones progressing to the point in which he matches his career high or for a single game with receptions at six, which, by the way... Didn't set his career high in a single game for yards. He got 55. His single game high, 68, which happened last year, mind you. So it's it's just a case of lowered expectations. I mean, fans, rightfully so, are trying to cling on to anything. And quite frankly, it's tough. You got to stretch sometimes. You, you have to... Figure something out because if you don't, as a fan, you're probably going to drive yourself insane, or you're, or you're going to turn the TV off. And well, and it's a shame because yeah. unlike Dan Kadar's clock, not everybody lives in sunny South Florida and can go fishing. True. Instead of watching the games, some people. I mean, everybody has a choice, but it's about to get cold. There's still people that have tickets to a lot of these home games that are going to be in December against teams like the Dolphins and the Jets and the Lions and the Bears next oh, week. Who doesn't I mean, want to see Bill's Lions in December? Giddy up. Me. I don't. <laughs> you have to. You're this here. This isn't even... You're like, here, buddy. Still got eight games I, to go. I will get paid, so I can't complain. But right. the it's still one of the most unwatchable products, I think. I mean... There are some other bad teams in the NFL, and the Bills probably aren't even the worst, which is saying something. But offensively, this is as bad as it gets. Yeah, it really is. I've never seen anything quite like this. There is literally no hope 
anywhere, anywhere that you look, no matter up and down the depth chart, you can say, hey, well, what about Wyatt Teller? I guess. What? At some point. Let me go vomit in the right. corner. At some point, throw him in. I mean, I guess. Oh Other than that, God. you don't really have anybody to turn to. There's no guys that you're developing. And that's, I think that's the biggest problem on offense is there is nobody outside of the guys who we've brought up, Zay Jones, Deion Dawkins, and maybe Wyatt Teller, that you're actually developing. And so, I mean, that's... And Wyatt Teller is a fifth-round pick. Zay Jones and Deion Dawkins, both second-round picks, who at some point have to stop developing and have to start playing. I mean, you're always developing in some sense, but you have to start producing like second-round picks. And I think Dawkins is probably closer than Zay Jones, and Zay Jones is improving, so maybe he gets there. But you just don't... And with Zay Jones, I, I don't even know how to judge him because... The quarterback play here has been really, really awful. And so... So you see signs of progress and you maybe you project and say, well, if it's a better quarterback, then then maybe he's better. But then you're right. like, well, swap, they don't, well, they don't have a quarterback. Swap Robert Woods and Zay Jones. Maybe it's... You don't notice a huge difference. I don't know. I think Robert Woods is a, a better player, but I think, you know, situation is pretty important. And oh, yeah. I think that, you know, kind of speaks to the larger issue is developing receivers in the NFL is not easy. And the idea that guys can come in and play right away like they did in 2014 isn't all that common. So that means you're throwing money at the problem in free agency, but convincing guys to come here and play in this offense saying nothing about coming to Buffalo or anything like that because I don't think that's really an issue for too many guys when, you know, money's getting thrown around. But when you're talking about the future of your career, it's going to have to be a lot more money to justify stepping into one of the worst offenses in the modern era, maybe the worst offense when it's all said and done. So that could end up being a problem. You know, there's probably going to be one, two, three prized guys at receiver on the free agent market that could actually make a decent difference. And if they all decide to take their talent elsewhere, which could very well happen, if it's like, well, two million more bucks, I'm gonna go play for Sam Darnold or I'm gonna go, you know, play for the Browns even, whoever else. I mean, whoever has a more promising quarterback or the Ravens, whoever it may be, you could name almost any I think the Bills have the worst quarterback situation in the entire NFL. And so almost every every other team will be in a better spot to lure guys in. And yeah, there's the argument that, hey, you could tell the guy he's going to get a ton of catches and be the centerpiece. Not to say they won't be able to land a free agent wide receiver, but it's not going to be easy. And I think that's the, the problem with assuming, hey, they haven't touched the offense. Once they do, everything will be fine. We have no evidence to suggest that that will be true, that they'll be able to find guys, um, you know, the right guys and plug them in and make this thing dramatically better. It can't be worse, but in order for it to be dramatically better, 17 has to be dramatically better. And right now, this idea that he's sitting back and like, I think people are missing what he's, I, I, I see tweets of, oh, Josh Allen, you know, should pay attention to that that throw from Derek Anderson that went, you know, thrown into a tight window. I mean, Josh Allen knows he should, needs to throw into tight windows. That's not what he's going to learn from Derek Anderson. He's going to learn how to prepare during the week and how to handle himself like a professional, how to study, how to correct his mistakes, how to break down film, all little things that he should have had a veteran in the room teaching him long ago or a quarterback's coach, but that's neither here nor there. Um but, but he's not sitting on the he's sidelines. Got a David Culley Street going. <laughs> he's not. He's not on the sidelines saying, "Damn, that was a nice throw from Derek Anderson." Let me remind myself to make nice throws. Yeah, let me you write know? this down right. on my tablet. Yeah, let me. Oh, I should make nice throws. That's what I should do. Like, <laughs> shit, I should have thought of that in the first few games. We would have been. I would have been doing so much better. I didn't know I should be making nice throws. 
Like, he knows. But it's the other stuff that gets him prepared to do that during the week. Mm-hmm. Bills fans can only hope that he's taking this time away seriously. Yeah, that's the biggest, the because biggest determiner right I here. I think he'll be back at some point here because, I mean— I mean, who knows? It seems like he's making some progress. He was out there on the field with a helmet doing some things at practice last week. Still technically a non-participant. However. Not throwing. Yeah, uh, that's the that's the bigger issue. But the I don't one think. One thing he hasn't done is he hasn't thrown. I wouldn't expect yet. him to throw until. It's like once he can throw, he'll be ready. You know what I mean? It's not like a. Maybe. Because if he can't throw, I guess what I'm saying is if it were a knee, it's kind of harder to gauge because he's able to throw. With the elbow, they're not going to let him throw until he can absolutely throw. And if he can't do that, he's a quarterback. He can't do anything. Well, you know? so, well some interesting comments on that from Brandon Bean earlier um, before the game. Um, he, he popped up on the uh, uh, WKBW pregame show, and he was basically saying how because, it, you know, if – this was his left elbow. They could have. They could be attacking this thing a little bit He'd differently. He'd probably be playing, right? I think. But if it's but if it's his right and the one he's throwing with, it's his moneymaker. It's what it's what he is. They almost have to completely make sure he is a hundred percent before they even start to put him on the path to to get back into the lineup. So they have to be very careful with this. And what I also found interesting was how Brandon Bean related this more to a baseball injury than anything. And it's not a common thing that you see from football players and quarterbacks. And, you know, that uh, that is at least a tad concerning only because they have to do so much research on how much, uh, how much the, this injury in particular um, can be helped slash prevented from re-injury within football as opposed to baseball there's so many different layers to it and uh, you know you can say what you want but when asked point blank if if uh he was concerned whether or not this would be a a potential season-ending injury for josh allen he said not concerned right now but uh i can't say it won't happen is what is what brandon bean essentially said so him not even ruling out the fact that it could cost him the rest of the year. I mean, I think while I'm, I don't think that will happen. I think Josh Allen will probably be back at some point. Bills fans should at least think to themselves in the back of their head, "Hey, it might be Derek Anderson and Nathan Peterman from here on out." I mean, that that is a legitimate possibility in all of this because you don't mess with a throwing elbow and the type of injury that he suffered. Yeah, I mean, they can't really rule out the fact that he'll miss the season before he starts throwing again because you don't know how the elbow is going to respond. And so it's, yeah, if this were his non-throwing elbow, I bet he would have played tonight. I I mean, I don't... Close to it, sure. Because I don't see why he wouldn't be able to. But that's the weird thing about this injury is you can't really be limited and I mean I guess you could be limited in practice but not not if you're not throwing you know what I mean and mm-hmm. it's if a receiver had this injury he could be limited in practice but with Josh Allen it's going to be once he starts throwing he'll probably be ready to play assuming everything responds appropriately I don't think it's quite uh, since he didn't have surgery he doesn't necessarily need to rebuild the strength in it he just has to it, it's a weight let it heal and Hopefully it responds appropriately when you do start throwing again. If you were a baseball pitcher who would have to go out and throw 100 pitches, you know, obviously. But this could be one of those things that kind of follows him a little bit where they're monitoring his workload. And you see Cam Newton goes through some weeks where he doesn't throw because of his shoulder. And Ryan Tannehill has, you know, gotten, you know, he's been on the shelf for a while because of his shoulder. And Similar deals. I mean, obviously the rotator cuff's a little bit different than an elbow, but mm-hmm. the elbow's vastly different. You know, just as important in a lot of ways. Yes. So the strain he's putting on it, or the risk of re-injury, is all going to be considered. And in football, as compared to baseball, I would argue the elbow is probably more important than than what's going on up there. Because with 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 the shoulder, I mean, 
they're both important, obviously. But you know, if if you can't go through with your full range of range of motion with your elbow and complete the throw and get that same velocity you have on it, it's, I mean, you you have to you almost have to wait until you are more than sure that this that this thing is a hundred percent healed, and you can't let him try and fool you into thinking that you were. Uh, that uh, he is 100% healed because a lot of this is a pain tolerance thing and how much do they do they really know about if if it's healing or not and everything like that a lot of it is going to be him giving an honest assessment to the bills and what he's feeling so there are i i think it will be it's tough. somewhat obvious because i think back to that stress test they did on it on the sideline after he got hurt and there was no, I mean, I don't, it doesn't matter how tough you are. You can't pretend that it doesn't hurt. And yeah. so I think there's enough they can do that way to test it out to say, okay, oh, you're good to go, Josh. Well, let's, let me do this. Oh yeah. You're not good to go. So, oh, but, I just brought you down to it. Right. <laughs> like, oh yeah, maybe not. So maybe next week, but they've also got the bye week coming up, which, you know, will probably, probably factor into this. You know, that would be four weeks. Uh, of healing time and initially uh, you know Five, the, right because they've got two more games before the bye week i thought it's just one no they have oh yeah they do the, have, they have the, the bears then the jets and then the bye week oh yeah mm-hmm. i was jumping the gun i was hoping that the bye week was closer than it was what three straight weekends uh, home how dare but, you <laughs> so but yeah same point applies because even if you think back you know they called it week to week there were reports that it would be at least two to three perhaps up to a month and if you give him the month then he gets you know the fifth week at the bye week and at that point if he's not ready then maybe you do think about hey well if this guy's not ready then you're getting pretty close at that point to shutting him down right i don't know i mean that's it's been the story of the season is how will Josh Allen develop and there were times when you know Sean McDermott said you know we hope at the end of the year we can look back and say that he's exponentially better than he was when he started you can't say that right (laughs) now you cannot at all not even close you might even say he's incrementally worse than he was when he started and in fact Sean McDermott has also been quoted as saying that you can ruin a rookie quarterback and or a young quarterback, whatever you want to say. And there's a certain, there's an argument forming that maybe they've, they're on the, well on their way to doing so with this mm-hmm. kid. So they have to handle the situation very carefully and, you know, figure out what the best course of action is before they throw them into this offense again. And let's not forget the only form of offense they had before he got hurt was him running around basically. And that was the only way they were picking up yards and, and, you know, doing any sort of damage. So, yeah, not a lot of good places to turn uh, on this side of the ball. You almost feel just bad watching Derek Anderson out there because he's just get, like at the end of that game, he was just getting rocked by, by just poor blocking right up front. And he just he didn't stand a chance. And it's like. I wonder why it's just they, 30... they don't put the backup quarterback in at that point. I know. You know, like they didn't do it last week either. Like, and now he got hurt. It, is it because it's Peterman and they think everybody will make fun of them if they put him in? Because I don't, I don't think it matters. I just put him in. You're right. So that if because you know you want to start Derek Anderson and you don't want to turn back to Peterman, put him in and let him maybe build some confidence or something because look, this is the situation that you're in, right? You didn't go out and trade for Blaine Gabbert, perhaps the way you should have. So I was very <laughs> hopeful. We're getting near the end of the podcast. I thought, is he going to forget? Is he going to forget? Then I'm like, oh, wait, did I screw it up by mentioning the David Culley streak? And here we are. So, hey, you've got 15 <laughs> hours to trade for Blaine Gabbert. And if you don't, this is what you're left with. And so you've got to protect Derek Anderson and throw Peterman in. And then at you the stack end. him with Cam Phillips and Derek Anderson. Yes. And Jeremiah Searles. All I'm of into the above. it. And Jason Kroom. And Jason sorry. Jason Kroom, who... He's leading the incompletion on touchdown attempts. Jason Kroom weirdly had like a... I want to say he had... Yahoo gives the one to five stars on the matchup rating. And 
Jason Kroom had like a two stars this week, and I was like, huh, look at Jason Kroom. Like, fantasy people know who he is, so throw him in your stacks because <laughs> he's Derek Anderson's favorite target. He's hey, he's is he better than Charles Clay? I think he might be. Cam Phillips had a catch for nine yards today. By he the did. Way. Um, he might be. I, there's certainly no evidence to uh, suggest the contrary. I mean, Charles Clay hasn't really done much of anything. It seems like if there's a guy who has kind of hit a wall in his career, it's him. I mean, he's getting up there in age as well, and it seems like this this is probably the time where the speed starts to go for a player like him. And, um, and yeah, it, he just hasn't done much of anything. But then again, it comes back to the quarterback play. Like, what do you, what do you expect? It, it, it's just... Just this, and I know I've used this term before, but it's just this freaking carousel of suck every which way you look. I mean, the offensive line stinks, and that that directly influences the running game, which then directly influences the passing game, having to rely on it too much. But since the passing game can't get it going, then the running game can't get it going because then they just play the run, and then the offensive line can't block for either. So what do you do? Seriously. What do you do in that there's instance? There's still a... What do you do if you're Brian Dable in that instance? There's nothing you can do. Right. You, you run, run the wildcat. You run the freaking wildcat and the double... Free, double. I don't even know the term anymore. It's one in the morning. There's... I've lost my mind. There were folks out there saying that they should have run the annexation of Puerto Rico, which I agreed with. I'm not, I'm not out on Statue that of idea. Liberty would have been an option. The Fumble Ruski, I think, is still something they'll bust out at some point. I mean, you have to. There's still a... <laughs> there's like a... The problem with this team is that, you know, they're trying to rebuild it and, you know, tear it down and build it back up at the same time. And there's still like this this decaying carcass of leftover Doug Whaley stuff floating around. And you've got your, um, hang on. You've got your Charles Clay <laughs> and other such, you know, contracts that are kind of just floating about. Your salary cap is bogged down by Cordy Glenn and, you know, all these other guys you're, that are still holding you back. It's you're just, telling me that decaying carcasses float now? Yes. That's disgusting. Have you ever seen a decaying carcass? I assume it would float. <laughs> I mean, that's what carcasses do. They float. They, it's what, is it? They you, don't sink. You, I mean, if they decay. Even a waterlogged decaying carcass would float. I mean, it would just be waterlogged and floating. But this decaying carcass is sinking. Ah, I suppose. Oh, you mean the entire Bill's offense? Yes. Oh. You've got a lot of decaying carcasses. On Carci. Carcassi. Something like that. Yeah, sure. It's a it's a big, fat mess. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows it. It is not good. But don't want to belittle the play of the defense today because they played their butts off. And they, they provided a big answer. Mm, they from, didn't score any touchdowns. True. So. That's true. They came close. Milano almost had a, had a pick six tutty. But uh, that didn't happen. Um, he played a great game. It's basically what they say after games. They're like, well, we should have had some touchdowns. <laughs> right. Lorenzo Alexander's like, hey, the Patriots defense got a touchdown, and we didn't. So I guess that's that's what we get. How? And he said, we like to hold them to 17 points. We only held them to 18. So well, that's what you get. You lose. How in 2018 can you honestly have an offense that has scored less than a touchdown plus an extra point in half of your games? How can you have that? It is just unfathomable. I mean, you can even eat all that dead money and do all the things that they're doing, but still, you should be able to do something on offense. You should be able to luck into it even sometimes. And they can't even do that, man. Like, this is this is awful. And I, I honestly feel bad for fans because they have to kind of grind it out here with the hope that they're going to get things turned around in the offseason without a guarantee that they're going to get things turned around. What we do know is they're going to add players that they believe are more talented than what they have now. And it's hard to 
imagine them screwing that up because they don't have a lot of talent on that side of the ball as it stands right now. Imagine if they got worse players. I mean, do they exist? I yeah, they 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 totally exist. I just you, you would you would It's a weird situation because you can't judge the most important pieces of this franchise. You cannot properly judge them right now. Well, you can in some ways, but judgment time has not arrived at mm-hmm. least at the ownership level for any of the important pieces. Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, Josh Allen, and Brian Dable, I would argue the four most important people in the organization. You can't properly, or they're not going to be judged until next season, at the end of next season, at the earliest. And there's evidence to suggest that none of them are the right guys. There's the possibility exists that they're all the right guys. But it's really hard to know, and we're not seeing a whole lot of evidence for fans to sit there and, and have some confidence heading into the offseason. And, you know, what do you do at that point? Are you you're sitting there saying, well, you can't fire these guys because it's only been two seasons. You knew this was coming. They tore it down. You owe it to them to let them build it back up. On the flip side, letting them build it back up might set you back even farther. Letting them spend all the money and, you know, the draft picks, which let's retire the they have 10 draft picks talk. They have three in the first three rounds. So they don't, they're not loaded with picks. Yeah. Fourth, fifth, sixth rounders aren't going to change your franchise, most likely. They're pieces, you know, that you can maybe package and move up, but you don't... This is not a team that should be moving up. They need lots of of players. I mean, if they end up with a top three draft pick, you can make a strong argument for them to move down. Yeah, absolutely. They maybe should. But you're sitting there and you're thinking, what will, you know, what's ownership going to do with... In the offseason, you know, in, in the, it only took two years for Rex to get fired. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a lot shorter for other guys around the league to get fired. And it feels like McDermott knows he has time. My question is, does he have three or four years? The idea that you need continuity is great in theory. But as we've touched on, you need to at have some foresight when things just aren't working mm-hmm. and when a plan is going awry. And when you've done so much to get the quarterback that it's impacted the rest of your offense. And when you've now put yourself, I mean, you've painted yourself into a corner as ownership here because, you know, I assume, you know, Sean McDermott is speaking like a man who is very comfortable with his job status heading into the offseason, despite how poor this is going. They acted like guys who were very comfortable with their job status with carrying $50 million in dead cap. And so, you know, at what point do you think ownership actually critically judges what's going on on the field? Because it's historically bad on one side of the football and it's good on the other side of the football, but let's not forget last week, you know, they let up, they let up a lot of points. They've had their share of blame in some of these games as well. It's a good defense bordering on great, but again, not necessarily the formula to win in in this NFL. So ownership's going to have to make judgments, I think next year. And will they make the right ones? I don't know. I I mean, I think more than anything, they just have to see signs of progress on the offensive side of the ball, signs of progress from Josh Allen. And if they don't get that, and it's game 14, game 15 of the season, I think that is going to be what ultimately decides whether or not the Bills think to themselves, yeah, you know what? There's been some steps forward taken this year. Let's see what 2020 brings along. 
But if it's another year of this, then yeah, I, I think they would probably be toast. But if there's at least something to hang your hat on, I think McDermott and company probably get a fourth year to, to really see this plan out. And because now, but there's so much danger in that. Yes, there totally is. But you've set the, yourself back even farther. But they are committed to it, and that's that's scary. Because if they you're haven't a fan of this team. They haven't done this before, though. This ownership group has not done. I mean, they did it with Tim Murray, but not in the NFL. So you know, for to a certain degree, that they believe in that sort of way of building a roster because they allowed Tim Murray to do it as long as they did. So you would have to think. If they have the patience for Tim Murray to do what he did, they would probably keep the same patience for both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. I think there's a lot of parallels to to draw between that that regime. And even though it didn't work out well, they still ended up with Jack Eichel, and and they they feel like they they got some things. And and Tim Murray made some really bad trades, and it ended up uh, crushing him. And and he ended up going too hard on. Uh, on on other things and for the future things and and ruled out the, the here and now and so that is what this Bills regime has to avoid doing the same things the way that Tim Murray did but I mean the Pakulas have shown in their history that they are willing to be patient they fired Rex because Rex was a buffoon let's not be let's not beat around the bush here I mean he was severely outdated in an NFL that changed the way that they defended and played offense, and he didn't change whatsoever. He didn't evolve. And and then he was also doing things just almost to benefit him on an almost daily basis, more than anything. And he brought in his his brother and all his buddies, and, and it was just a bad situation. I mean, he was rowing with the, with the GM, and the GM wasn't making the right decisions, and it just... Just never seemed like it it was going, and and so that's why they got rid of Rex. But when you, when they ha- actually have someone that they believe in, that that they believe dis, dis, makes decisions the right way or has the right type of logic that they want to align themselves with, they will give the time of day to that. So that's what I'm thinking. If they, if this offense shows signs of life at all next year, I think they get 2020. I really do. Yeah, I think. I'm not disagreeing. Um, more so just, I think you have to question. I think you have to, and I don't know that they will. I think more than anything, they want to be able to be the owners that are able to sit back and just be hands off and let these guys do things. They don't want to do another coaching search. They don't want to go through what that entails and, and a GM search and getting the structure right. But how this thing has been built is, you know, leaves a lot of questions. And, you know, I think it's a pivotal, pivotal off season and it really starts tomorrow or today, I guess, with the trade deadline and how they approach that and, you know, what, you know, what they decide to do there, what moves they decide to make or not make. And yeah, I just think it's, you know, a lot of people want to, you know, want these guys fired now that's not happening it may not even happen next year and you know quite frankly it's just a weird spot to be in if you're a fan because again you know this is actually a sincere bring it's very much like you know we talked about with gus bradley and that jaguars team and so many parallels you know blaine gabbert where you said that guy's probably not it but they're gonna give him the time and it if you haven't got to that point with Josh Allen or if you do at some point, they're going to give him time because the idea behind him was that he needed time. And so it's just a weird, you know, dynamic at play where they're going to get the time, whether, like you said, it might not take a whole lot next year. If they go seven and nine, but the offense looks decent or Josh Allen, you know, has signs of life. I mean, they might get that year and they might get that 2020 and mm-hmm. that's a long time in the NFL. That's an eternity. And so that would be their fourth year. Honestly, these guys need to take advantage of it. It's on them this year. I'll, I honestly, you know, some people may not agree, but 
I somewhat give them a pass for a lot of the problems that they're having because we knew this was coming. Mm-hmm. And they've made some some big-time mistakes that we've called them out for, namely at the quarterback position and the plan at that position and not surrounding him with any talent whatsoever. But ultimately, this year was supposed to be a wash anyways. But it's it's big-time judgment time with the uh, 2019 offseason and beyond because you're getting run as a first year first time head coach and first time GM that a lot of people would you know kill for mm-hmm. and so there's really no excuses from that side of things because they're going to be patient they're going to have the resources and now it's just a matter of taking advantage of it it feels almost like it's going to be odd because they're going to be at the top of the draft and they're not going to need a quarterback anymore mm-hmm. and last year they had to scratch and claw to get into position to get a quarterback by trading away so much because of you know because they won so much so they've kind of done it in a weird order but here they are and here they go because there's still a half of a season to go and uh they've got the bears up next and the bears you know probably a lot more of a winnable game than uh, than this one, but uh, still going to be fairly tough. And quite frankly, I mean, it doesn't appear as – I mean, Josh Allen literally hasn't thrown a pass yet, so you wouldn't think that he would be ready in time to play on Sunday against the Bears on a six-day uh, – throughout the next six days. So that means maybe it's Derek Anderson, and perhaps it's not because – you know, spotted him after the game with a big old ice pack on that on that arm, and he had to leave the game due to due to injury. And so, if it's not him, then it's Nathan Peterman. And if Derek Anderson can't play, they might have to bring in a fourth quarterback, Ryan Zapatiki. He is out there. Bring in Kid Tutty. There's 14 hours to get Blaine Gabbard in the building. Uh, not for nothing, uh, but no. and. This is, you know, we won't go down the rabbit hole, but I will say somebody tweeted at me during the game, is there an argument for, you know, what argument is there that Colin Kaepernick would be worse than Derek Anderson? And I said, I don't, I cannot think of no. but a one. Because the number one argument with him was, well, you can't just bring him in now. He doesn't know the offense. He doesn't know anybody he's playing with. I know. That's crazy. But you can bring in 35-year-old Derek Anderson. But we may... Get to that at a later time. Yeah, it's 1.38 in the morning. I still have yet to start on my seven observations column. I do not want to enter that wormhole at the moment. So let's hand out some awards, shall we? Um, first off, the uh, the Dree Archer Award. Do I have that or do you have that? I think you have that. I have the Dree Archer Award. The Dree Archer Award will go to... The offensive line. What were you doing today? I mean, letting Derek Anderson take some sacks. Running game wasn't getting going. LaShawn McCoy averaged almost under a yard per carry. Yeah, not great. And then the one guy who's supposed to be good that we've been talking about or has had a a solid season, Deion Dawkins, completely whiffed on his block, which led to the the fumble and the fumble recovery for the Patriots and and some more points for them. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give that to the offensive line. How about the Vontae Davis Award? I'm gonna put a twist on the Vontae Davis Award because Is this allowed? You're goddamn right. I just just make up your rules. I'm going rogue. It's gonna be the reverse Vontae Davis Award. Mm. Because to someone who didn't show up in the first half, but showed up in the second half. And it's going to the dildo throwers. <laughs> Jesus. Why because not? they were not there during the first half, but there they were. It was raining dildos in the second half. Yeah. Only one half of effort from the dildo throwers. There is at least two thrown on the field. I believe that the total climbed to three at some point. Something about this this Patriots game just brings them yeah. out of the woodwork. Yeah. I mean, the the league should probably be happy that's all that's thrown on the field. 
the way this team is playing. And True. With fans having an entire day to get tuned up for this one. And there was a uh, a hearty warning from New Era Field say, hey, we hope you have fun today. But just a reminder, if you throw something on the field, you will be arrested. We do have video surveillance everywhere. You know what I find funniest about when the dildo gets thrown on the field? The is that <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Nobody w- will touch it <laughs> with their hands. They have they have a bag for them. Like the security like the card, ref was kicking it. The ref kicked it, and then the security guard came over and and had like you know like a little doggy poop bag for it, and, and you scooped it up and. Uh, and brought it in there. Well, I mean, you can almost see the thought process from the ref as he walks over, <laughs> thinks about reaching down to grab it, and then he's like, "Nope, maybe it's used. I'm just gonna <laughs> kick it." Yeah, yeah. 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 On, We're good. on the off chance that this is a used sex toy and not a brand new one, I'm gonna kick it. I'm and, not gonna pick this and, up with my uh, hand. What you call it? Uh, I'm not gonna be photographed with a dildo in my hand. I think is probably the the other thing that I would say that is a smart call. Yeah, I think it's it. I was thinking, you know, when he was doing it, I'm thinking, what are you doing? Just pick it up. And then I thought, I, no. w- I wouldn't. Yeah, right. Because for the reasons mentioned, maybe it's used, or maybe somebody takes a picture of you right. holding a dildo. Right. That's not good. Nope. Not, not nope. good for the brand. Not even a little bit. You shouldn't hold dildos in public. Mm. Everybody knows it. Jesus. Simple rule. More life advice here on the Bills Beat podcast. Don't put yourself in a position to be photographed holding a dildo. You do not know where that thing has been. <laughs> Mother Fairburn, everyone. All right, uh, time for Come On, Darlene. You go because I uh, I need to think. I have two. Oh, perfect. But I don't know which one to go with. Well, it's, as uh, someone once said on this podcast, it's nut cutting time. It's true. Part of me wants to give it to ESPN for doing their pregame wings, you know, obligatory, oh, we're in Buffalo, we're eating wings, and eating Applebee's yeah, wings. That, that I believe they were boneless, too. Oh, God. Very little research done. My goodness. Just ask anyone. I assume Rodak was probably behind it. Direct your <laughs> tweets to Rodak. <laughs> but I'm going to give my come on, Darlene, uh, to Terry Pagula. Okay. Uh, Eric Reed, after the Panthers game yesterday, had quite a lot to say about um, an issue that isn't really at the forefront this year, but was very much at the forefront last year with the player protests and um, everything going on with that. Um, and he shed more light on the closed door meeting between players and owners on how to end the protests and shared a nugget that Terry Pagula said that. You know, he had lost sponsors for his hockey team over the protests and that the league needed to put a Band-Aid on the issue and they needed, quote, a black figurehead to do it. And I just think, if true, which it lines up with an ESPN story and a New York Times story, which painted Pagula in a similar light but did not quote him directly as saying that, Eric Reed was in the room. I have no reason to believe that he would single out Terry Pagula for fun. I have no reason to believe he's lying. And that type of language, regardless of what side you are on on the issue, I think is ridiculous. And uh, I, on some level, wonder what guys in the room think. I mean, I I assume at this point, most NFL players just kind of block out ownership in a lot of ways uh, on things like that because they they probably know where a lot of these guys stand. Um, And again, it's not about picking a side. It's not about... I'm not here trying to make a political statement on the podcast, but I think that type of language and rhetoric and that idea is just, you know, I think it's it's unacceptable. I don't think, you know, whether the doors are closed or not, uh, I think that's a, kind of a jarring thing that Eric Reed said and not a very good look for the owner of the football team, um, whether... I don't think much will come of it. I don't think it's, you know, some, he doesn't speak very often. So, you know, it is what it is. But um, when I saw it, I wanted to, you know, point it out on this portion of the podcast because I think it was a a silly thing to say and really the type of language that we we don't really need. 
Mm-hmm. Well said. Um, all right, my come on, Darlene, will is on a much less serious note um, because really what brings a lot of you back is our hijinks. And I was down there. For, life advice. And life advice, yes. And uh, your fantasy stacks. Yes. Also, also that. Um, after the game, went through and did uh, the live hits for WKBW, everything like that. Ended up wrapping up around like, I don't know, 12.30 or something like that. So, I'm down there and I see Eric Wood and I say, oh, hey, Eric, how's it going? We're catching up a little bit. And, and then he um, he's like, yeah, just down here with the... And they're, the Bachelor guys are down here. I'm like, hang on. Why do the Bachelor guys get a on-the-field pass for far after the game is over? Why is that a thing? Who, 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 who did this? And why would you do it? I think the guy from Buffalo was here. I think Jason is his name. But also... Dean, who is like one of the, the bigger villains in Bachelor history, he was down there sporting a Trent Edwards jersey, probably from Jason's closet. There's another dude. I mean, they're, they're they rife with that. But who let the Bachelor bros down on the field? I think... That's the, my come on, Darlene. I think the come on, Darlene, should go to Beauvais. Because he took a picture Because he took a picture with him. <laughs> he compounded the issue. You know what? That is true. Matt Beauvais. And I don't... I, he, he like listens to like... Maybe half of the episodes. I wonder. You know, yeah, Matt Beauvais. He gets to come on. He did do it because his fiance is a big fan of The Bachelor. So, I mean, he he did it for love. He did it out of love. So you know what? No, I'm going. I'm going with The Bachelor. So bros. what you're saying? The is Bachelor Bros get get come on, Darlene, for this. I say Beauvais gets it. And well, this is not I, your come on, Darlene. I now, I think. Unless the, you would like to change your come on, Darlene. So what you're saying, how many of those guys were down there? Uh, I believe there were four or five of them. Four or five. So the dildo count was actually at seven or eight. Jesus Christ. And Beauvais <laughs> just added to it by, you know, <laughs> that dildo move of taking a picture with a bunch of dildos. So, oh God! And uh, th- this makes me think of a conversation I had with our buddy Prescott Rossi, who said, "You know what I'm going to love most about the podcast the rest of the year is that is that it's just going to go off the rails uh, near the end of the near the end of the shows." And I mean, uh, one for one, Prescott. After what Tim did last week, I feel like no, you do me, not, you me do, saying dildo is you know harmless. You do not have to uphold a standard. It's basically PG at this point. We don't yeah. even need to you, you, label this. You do podcast. not you do not have to uphold the standard that TG laid down. Especially in with all the great life advice I'm dishing out, the kids really probably should be listening. And the fantasy stacks. It's and the fantasy stacks. If kids want to get rich and, you know, learn how to behave. Dan Kadar's clock should probably in a, in a couple weeks uh, when he welcomes his son into the world, he'll probably be have his, having his son listen to get some subliminal messages early on in his life as he welcomes him into Bill's fandom. My word. This is a part of Bill's fandom. Dildos, this podcast. Bachelor Bros. And Beauvais. Just generally doing Beauvais stuff, like taking <laughs> pictures with the Bachelor guys. Oh man, it, it, what a what a day today has been. What a day. So, it is now the morning, almost 2 a.m. Um, and I believe this is where we will, we will leave you because in about almost 14 hours now, the trade deadline will be gone, and Sean McDermott will be speaking with us reporter types down in uh, down the uh, the media room at One Bills Drive and. Yeah, we'll, we'll learn if the Bills are actually able to deal LaShawn McCoy, Kelvin Benjamin, or maybe some other guys. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So, for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for listening to this edition of The Bills Beat. We will be back on Thursday to preview the Bills game against the Bears. Schedules are back to normal as of next week. So, uh, we will talk to you then. See ya.